0: I'm going to ask you all a question. I want you to raise your hand if it applies to you. And then I want you to kind of look around because I know it's going to be a lot of hands that are raised. How many of you are presently or were once a dog owner? Can I see your hands? Just keep them up for a minute. Look around. There's a lot of dogs, man. We love our dogs, right? Uh, My wife said to me the other day, and she didn't know I was even going to talk about this. She said, how can anybody not love a dog, right? And, you know, dogs is like they're loyal, they're, they're, they're loving. Uh, we've heard stories where dogs have uh, saved families because of a gas leak or a fire that was taking place. And the dog was barking and r- really saved their lives. But, but since Kathy and I have been married, uh, we've had three dogs. And the first dog that we had was Pippin. And he was a, a real beautiful English spring Spaniel, A little nutty but that may have gone with the breed, I don't know, you know. But but anyway, uh, he was our first dog. Then I would like to say, I would like to say our second dog was an Irish Setter, real manly, you know, long red-haired dog. Uh, I would like to say that. However, when I sent Kathy to the pet store to pick it up, because I had already arranged to buy it, and she picked it up and she brought it home to our to our apartment in, in, in Queens, and the dog just kind of took over. She brought the dog back without my knowing. She brought the dog back. They wouldn't give her her money back, but they would exchange the dog. So she comes home with, wait for it, a Yorkie. I come home expecting to see my Irish setter, and I see a Yorkie, one pound of flesh and blood and two pounds of hair. Not the kind of dog you want to walk in Queens. You know what I'm talking about? So my third dog was a cockapoo, and we named him. Listen, i got to tell you this. We had no money at the time, and we, had, we actually sold jewelry uh, at the time. Uh, we, 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 we cashed in these you know, little gold trinkets that we had, and we were able to buy the dog. right? So anyway, uh, we, we buy this cockapoo. We name him Elijah. And, and for years, I, I would have this recurring nightmare where the prophet Elijah would come to me, get in my face and say, you named the dog after me? Don't you know I can call fire down from heaven? And I would say, yes, but he's a really sweet dog. Thank you, sir. Dogs are, are, are pretty smart, but they are not so good at concealing bad behavior. You ever see a guilty dog? Uh, you, you ever hear this expression, you have guilt written all over your face. Can, can, can we put up number, number one, photo number one? That is guilt written all over your face. Uh, number two, if you put that up, I, I, he's probably thinking that there's no way I'm going to get out of this mess, right? I'm in trouble, right? Uh, put up number three, please. This is guilt and guilt by association, and I, I love the look of, of not only the guilty one up, up front, I, I think I think the one in the back is even more amusing as he's processing this whole thing. But the way dogs process guilt is so funny, right? And then put up the last one, which is my favorite one, is, is German Shepherd, right? Look, the look on his face, but I love the slogan. He says, says, before you see what happened upstairs, I love you. I've said that to my wife on so many occasions. doesn't work. I'm sorry. It doesn't work. But uh, how, how dogs process uh, guilt is, is really amusing. How humans process guilt, not so much. Uh, I actually love the way the opening chapters of the Bible, and especially chapter 3, where, where God confronts his best friend uh, because of bad behavior, and he's hiding. He's, he's hiding in bushes. To imagine that you could ever hide from God in bushes. I mean, how dumb can you be, Right. And so, and so that's where he is. And God comes seeking. and says, Adam, where are you? And then he says, Adam, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? What have you done? And that's when, when Adam and Eve began to throw each other under the bus. And there weren't even buses back then. How hard that would be, right? And they, they, they begin to blame. At least with my dogs, no one ever threw the cat under the bus. <laughs> then again, we never had a cat. But uh, guilt is one of the greatest obstacles that we have in a vital relationship with God. And and, and this is is the problem for all of us. God has concluded in Scripture that all the world is guilty before Him. That there's none righteous, not even one. All of us have turned from God in some way or another. All of us are responsible. And, and, And not only... The bad news is that we've inherited this, this sin consciousness or this guilty conscience from our parents, Adam and Eve, but, but we also are guilty before God because of our own bad behavior, and so guilt is a, is a real problem. Now, let me just obje- uh, kind of answer an, a possible objection, and the possible objection would go something like this, wait a minute, hold on, I don't have a problem with guilt, I've never done anything that's really seriously wrong. I've never committed adultery. I've never murdered anyone. I've never even stolen as much as a dime in my entire life. I'm not that bad. Well, before you kind of dismiss this message as, as, as to it pertains to personal guilt, let me, let me tell you a story. His name is Michael Suarez, and he lives in Michigan. And he arranged to sell a pound of marijuana for $2,800. And he and his buddies were to meet a couple in the wee hours of the morning in a local park. They arrive there and they make the exchange. Only they don't have a pound of marijuana with them. They have a backpack full of dirty socks. Dirty socks. And they, and they make the exchange. They get in the car and they speed away. They want to get away. And in the process, they're pulled over by a police officer because they just blew a stop sign. And and the police officer is in the process of, you know, your license, registration, and and all that stuff. And the guy who had just gotten ripped off comes running up, right, and says to the police officer, these guys have ripped me off. And he shows them his bag of of dirty socks. And so the police officer, you know, he searches the car and finds $2,800. But it doesn't elude the police officer that that this wasn't an exchange for dirty socks, it was an exchange for drugs. And they were all arrested. And this whole thing played out in court like this. The court found that they were all guilty, not because it's illegal to sell dirty socks, but because of the intent to buy and sell drugs. And that intent was just as guilty, and they received the same kind of uh, verdict and the same kind of uh, jail time, as if they, there was actually a drug exchange. In the eyes of the law, this is justice. In the eyes of the law, this is, this is the way the law is written, that intent matters. Now, if that matters in a human court, and we apply the same principle to the court of heaven, doesn't it matter before the God who weighs the heart, who examines the heart? And so intent is very important. So, so if you say, you say, I've never committed adultery, but God knows how lustful you've been. You say, I, I, I've never murdered anybody, but God knows how, how hateful you've been. Then even you who've never done anything necessarily greatly wrong are guilty before God. See, how we process guilt is so extremely important. If you're not a follower of Christ, I'm so happy that you're here and have this privilege to speak to you from the Word of God about something that really affects every single one of us, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, that 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 guilt really uh, can suffocate the human soul. Uh, It it can cause us, when we think about things that we've done in the past, even as a follower of Christ, it it can cause us to wince or or to just have piercing pain in our heart because we know that we have done things that we're ashamed of, that we wouldn't want any other human being to know about. i got to tell you this, that when my wife and I came to Christ, and I've shared this before, we both came to Christ at the same time, the same evening, we both. See, I, I, I didn't need anybody to convince me that my behavior was sinful. I was guilty, you know, like, like, the, like the photo of number one. You know, guilt was written all over my bad behavior and my face as well. And I repented of my, of my acts and my bad behavior. My wife, however, she repented of her self-righteousness. See, my, I used to call my wife goody-two-shoes because she was always good. She, she, she had this perfection kind of a, a you know, drive in her life. And she came to the realization that her, her righteousness wasn't good enough. That God has concluded that we're all guilty before God And that we really do need a Savior. And i got to tell you this, that one of the greatest experiences that a new believer can have is this incredible, inexplicable peace that you have with God because you know that my heart's now right with God because, not of me, but because of his Son and what his Son has accomplished for us. So why is guilt such an important issue? Well, as I stated at first, that it's one of the biggest obstacles that we have in a vital, healthy relationship with God, because before the guilt comes, comes the bad behavior, behavior which God says is unacceptable to Him, that that, that God uh, cannot tolerate uh, wickedness. And I tell you what, even as a follower of Jesus, well, let me just give a couple of reasons why uh, you, you you may be experiencing, you know, this this tormenting guilt. It it, it may be, number one, you've never heard the gospel. You've never known that Jesus Christ can set you free from guilt and sin and condemnation and the shame that you may be bearing, that Jesus Christ alone can do that. Number two, you may be a believer, a follower of Christ, and, and, and you may be, let me tell you, we have an adversary who's called the accuser, and there's a reason why he's called the accuser, because he accuses us. He reminds us of things that we've done. He beats us down with, with words like, you know, God can't forgive you. you. You've done things that are way too horrible. You, you, God can't use you. You think you're going to serve God? God can't use you. And, 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 and you can't live a, a good Christian life. You've done too many horrible things. And the enemy is there quick to remind us. And, and maybe maybe one of the problems is is that we do not fully understand how completely and freely forgiven we are in Christ. Maybe as a new believer, you struggle with, with temptation. You know, you, you know God's forgiven you because you prayed, and, and, and God has promised to forgive you, and you feel forgiven, and you go a week or so or two, and then you stumble and you fall, and then you feel like, i got to go all the way back to square one. I start all over again. And and then you confess, and then and then you do this repeatedly, and it becomes this roller coaster repetition where where you don't have victory in your life, or 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 maybe maybe you have have reminders of your past, but you don't resist the the, the reminders that come to your mind. You kind of let your mind linger around past bad behavior, and that lingering will will, will eradicate your confidence in God, and it will. It will cause guilt to suffocate your soul. Guilt undermines intimacy with God. and Shame becomes piercingly painful to us. The shame of what we've done, the shame of if anybody else finds out about it, if anybody discovers what's in my, what's in my past. But you know, Scripture says this, that if you're in Christ, that God has separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east is from the west? Now, if you think of Long Island, that's not enough. You know, Montauk and Brooklyn, that's not enough. If you, if you think cosmos, and the, the fact of the matter is, is that it is immeasurable. God has put so much space between us and our sins. Or if you don't like that, how about God has cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And somebody posted a sign that says, No fishing. Let me just say this, that if your sins are brought up and you've confessed them and and your past comes up, God's not the one to bring them up. Here's the reason why. Because of the new covenant, God says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll write write my, my word in your spirit, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And then he says this, I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. I am not going to remember the things that you've done in your past. So if somebody's bringing them up, it's not God. It may be you or it may be the devil or the accuser or guilty conscience, but it's not God. God is not going to dredge up the past and put it in your face. God is going to forgive you if you sincerely give your heart to Christ. You know what? Even secular psychologists know that guilt can be debilitating. It can wreak havoc. Upon, upon your mind and your emotions and your soul. Feelings of guilt, let me tell you, feelings of guilt can wreck a marriage. It can cause an individual to, to do self-destructive behavior, that guilty conscience. It, it could separate relationships or it divides relationships between parent and child, between, uh, between siblings, between friends. You know, guilt finds a way of surfacing. You could try to suppress it. You could try to ignore it, but you can't forget it. It's like a peanut butter sandwich. You know, if you ever see a peanut butter sandwich and you squash the bread together, and what happens? That peanut butter oozes out. It's the same way. No matter how much pressure we we, we experience, it's going to ooze out. The guilt is going to manifest itself in some way. Psychologist by the name of uh, Nathaniel Brendan, published a paper back in 1969, and it was called The Psychology of Self-Esteem, in which he argued, listen, he argued that feelings of self-worth are a key to success in life. It caught fire. Everybody said, wow, this is, this is brilliant, this is, this is great. It began to, to be instituted in schools. They had self-esteem task forces to build up children, right, to, to build up kids... After 15,000 articles have been written on the subject, what have we learned? This is what we've learned, that high self-esteem doesn't improve grades. It doesn't reduce antisocial behavior. It doesn't deter drug or alcohol addiction. In fact, it doesn't do much of anything. In fact, it actually is counterproductive because the more you tell your little child how much of a genius they are, the less they're apt to to strive, to work hard, to be diligent, to apply themselves. You'd be much better off encouraging your child. Rather than everybody get a trophy, rather than to say, you know what? If you work hard, you will succeed. Even when we're told over and over again how unique we are, how perfect we are, how great we are, we still don't believe it. A lifetime of praise will not change this one fact of what the thing that we need the most, wait for it, it's a a clear conscience. And we can only discover a clear conscience in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the word of God teaches that man's problem is is not that he feels guilty. Let me say it again. His problem is not that he feels guilty, but that he is guilty. But the good news is, is that There's a permanent solution to man's pain. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from a guilty conscience so that we can serve the living God. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I love there's a poem. There's a fountain filled with blood flowed from Emmanuel's veins. Sin is plunged beneath that flood. There's all their guilt and stains one of the greatest liberating truths found in the word of God that can set you free, if you can grasp this through faith, if you will reckon yourself to have this promise of God, I'm telling you, you can walk out of here free from guilt, shame, and condemnation. It was written by a man who should have been overwhelmed by guilt, somebody who hated the Jesus of Nazareth and did everything that he possibly could to destroy that way. In fact, he would drag believers out of their home. He would imprison them. He would confiscate their goods. Some of them he actually put to death. But he was able to to come to an encounter with the living Christ who called him to become Paul the Apostle. Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Had a greater revelation than any of the other apostles about the, the greatness of the love of God. And, and this is what he writes in a chapter where he, he describes this frustration of, I want to do good, but I can't because evil's present with me. And when I want to, you know, I, I do the things that I, that I don't want to do. And, and he, he describes this, this frustration as a living death. And he says, it's the cry of a broken heart. And he says this, oh, wretched man that I am. Not how wonderful am I, not what a great guy am I, a wretched man that I am. Remember John Newton wrote that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a a wretch like me. It is the acknowledgement that we're guilty before God. It's the acknowledgement that there are things in our past that we are ashamed of and that we need forgiveness for. Paul says, the wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Now, that's just not just words. That, that's an image that Paul wants us to understand. See, Paul would have been very familiar being a, being a prisoner of Rome of one of, the most, one of one of the most barbaric methods of execution ever, ever devised, and that was to chain a condemned man to a rotting corpse, Hand to hand, face to face, mouth to mouth, chest to chest. You had to drag around. If you wanted to move, you had to drag around that putrefying, corrupting corpse that was decaying. And ultimately, that brought about your death. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that we are experiencing a living death. Who is going to save us from this living death? And then he says it like this I thank God. I thank the Father. I thank the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he, it's under this that he leads. And you know, I, I, I very seldom would criticize those that put together verses in the Bible, and divided chapters. It, it helps us immensely. It, it enables me to say th- this is from this chapter and this verse. But the terrible breakup in this, in this part is right here in chapter 8, verse 1. Because in chapter 8, verse 1, this is the crescendo of what he's leading us to. He says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Not now, not ever will there ever be condemnation. Forever there will never be condemnation. Why? Because condemnation fell like a hammer upon the Son of God when he became a sacrifice for us at the cross. Listen to what the apostle says as we build this case of really understanding that we've been forgiven, that we have been made perfect in Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, For by one offering, sacrifice, the cross, he, Jesus, has forever made perfect. One translation says, has perfected. Those who are being made holy. Being made holy is a process. Being made holy is called sanctification. Being made holy is the process of God the Holy Spirit working on our life, convincing us of sin, but then bringing us to a place of of receiving forgiveness and, and, and giving us grace, opening the Word of God to our understanding so that we now walk in the Spirit and we walk in the provision that God has for us in the Word. That that is the process. We're, We're not fully there yet. We will never be fully there until we see him. And when we see him, we will be like him. But that process is an ongoing process where old things pass away. All things are becoming new. But notice what he said here is past tense. Forever made perfect. Can you improve upon perfection? No, you cannot. Improve upon perfection for his one sacrifice has perfected you and me in Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed the human heart and given us a clean slate and a clear conscience before God. This is why Jesus cried from the cross. It is finished. It was a triumphal cry. It wasn't, it wasn't, thank God it's over. It is accomplished. It's completed. Never to be added to, never to be taken away. You cannot take away from what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Yes, yes, we do wrestle with sin. Yes, we do struggle against temptations and and, and sometimes just, quite frankly, desires of the flesh, evil desires that we wrestle with and that we struggle with. But that's why God's given us the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to help us. But I've discovered this after 45 plus years of walking with the Lord, that the greater distance we put between what our past was and the sinful behavior that we once engaged in and our walking in the Spirit, the greater is that distance, the greater will be our victory over the world, flesh, and the devil. Before coming to Christ, I was addicted to drugs. I never am tempted to do drugs. My deliverance is complete in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Let's face it. We remember our sins. God says he will not remember, but we remember our sins, whether it's our own conscience or whether, whether it's something that triggers a, a thought or a memory, and it becomes, it becomes piercing to our hearts with regret. We, we regret about some of the things that we've done in our life. But you know what's possible? Those unwelcomed memories that come to us it is possible to have your conscience cleansed and you know what the only way to really have victory over this is to is to believe what God says about you and that your identity is in Christ not in what you've accomplished but in what he has accomplished and then to remember this that God will remember your sins no more that is the way to get free Double jeopardy is a part of our justice system. A person can't be tried twice for the same crime. The crimes that I've committed fell on Jesus Christ. You know what the implication of that is? The implication is that, is that I was a part of the mob that yelled, crucify him, that I was a part of the soldiers who pulled out his beard, that I was a part of the, of the crowd that gloried in Jesus Christ being crucified. It was, it was my sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. But that is the demonstration of his love beyond any human logic or reasoning. Disobedience to the will of God can, can impact our fellowship with God negatively, but never our union with him. If we've been forgiven, then our lives have been sealed with Christ and God, and, and we're secure in him. We're safe in him, like, like, like Noah and his family were safe in the ark. The wrath of, 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 of the floods came and beat against that ark, but they were safe in the ark. If we're in Christ, then future wrath cannot touch you and me. You say to me, okay, this all sounds great, right? But, but why would God want to forgive me if I'm guilty of, of intentional sin? even if the things that I, that, I, that I didn't do, I'm guilty of, what, why would God want to forgive me? All right, let's, let's see what the Bible has to say about the why, okay? And we're going to start off with two words, but God. And God is always the answer. God is always the solution. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, see, that's where we were. We were, we were the walking dead. Made us alive together in Christ. That is resurrection. As Jesus rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, so likewise in his heart we were and we are. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ. What is that talking about? That's talking about our security and our safety is in Jesus. As long as Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, then we are safe and secure in him. And he will ever forever be there. And then notice this, this is future. This is future. The apostle says that in the ages to come, age after age after age, eon after eon after eon, if if that's correct, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ. Not, Not just kindness, loving kindness toward us in Christ. Our future is amazing because of the grace of God. This staggers the human mind. Human beings can't invent this. The human mind cannot, cannot fathom this, this grace, the only, the only religion in this world, and I hate to even call it a religion, is the Christian religion, and, and, and it's the only one that has grace. There was a conference that was taking place with all these theologians, and and C.S. Lewis came in late, and and he wanted to know what the discussion was. And the discussion was about what differentiates Christianity from all other religions. And he simply said, that's easy, grace. No one else offers grace, unmerited favor, undeserved, ill-deserved kindness, but God has. Hear what the apostle is saying in these words. The explanation is not found in you or me but the explanation is found in the heart of God who loves us in an unconditional way beyond our imagination. This is grace. But what makes this even greater to the imagination is what the apostle has said in the few verses that came right before, but God. You see, what he does is he sets the indictment against us the way we once were he says we were once walking dead spiritually dead toward god that is we were separated from god never having the, the ability to know god or ever to see god having no hope of that we were experiencing the sentence of eternal death over our lives we were teetering on the brink of eternal judgment number 2 our life in, in christ was w- before christ was one of rebellion We loved darkness more than we loved light. And at best, we were indifferent toward God, and some of us were actually hostile toward God. Number three, our world was dominated by the prince of the power of darkness. He didn't just simply influence our lives. He controlled our lives. He manipulated our lives like slaves in a matrix. Number four, selfishly, we indulge in every forbidden desire and passion of our heart, which only proved that we were deserving of punishment. We were lost children doing and loving lost things. say, okay, see that? I I told you it was too good to be true. But God, but God. Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrated. God showed, God revealed his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for good people because there are no good people. He says, I've come to call Sinners unto repentance. Son of God didn't come for the holy; he came for the sick. Listen, this is so great because if God loved me when I was his enemy, if Jesus died for me when I was yet sinning, then what do you suppose his attitude toward me is now that I trust him, that, I, that I've put my, my whole life in the hands of his son? I'll tell you what his attitude toward us is. As ugly as sin was, it was no match for his love, for the greatness of his love. Look at the logic that, that, that Paul disseminates because this is divine wisdom. He says, much more then, having now been justified, the word justified means just as if we had never sinned, how much more now that we've been just as if we had never sinned by the blood of Jesus. We shall be saved from wrath through him. We shall be saved from punishment because of him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled, that is made right with God through the death of his son, much more, much more, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life if Jesus exerted such great power in his death over over the world, flesh, and the devil, if Jesus exerted such great power between every enemy that came between us and God, then what will he do now that he is the risen Lord of the universe, ever living and making a session for us? That's so awesome, is it not? Four and a half years ago, the president of the Ukraine by the name of Petro Proshenko made an address to joint session of Congress. Senates and congressmen gathered together. He, sp- he spoke in broken English, and he was passionate about the suffering at the hands of Russian aggression and, and telling stories, story after story, about how courageous men laid down their lives to fight against the, the oppression that was taking place in his country. Ruthless enemies. He pled for help. And then he, he reminded the Congress of our own history and our quest for freedom. And then he made this statement. He said, Freedom is not a luxury. Freedom is a necessity. Freedom is not a luxury. If you're a child of God, it is not a luxury. You cannot live this Christian life unless you are free from guilt and shame and condemnation. You cannot successfully be pleasing to God and walk worthy of your calling. You have a great inheritance in Christ. He has forgiven you of all of your sins, separated them, cast them into the sea of, he will not remember your sins no more. Listen, the apostle Paul made his impassioned plea to the believers in in Galatia when he said this, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Make sure that you stay free. And I want to say that to every one of you today. If you're not a follower of Christ, you can leave this place today being free from guilt and condemnation. If you are a believer, don't let the enemy beat you over the head. Don't let your own conscience plague you with with regrets and and thoughts from the past. We all have them. I have them. If if there are things that, that sometimes cause me to cringe with memory, but I defeat it because I remember that God will remember my sins no more. Sin's a cruel dictator, a brutal tyrant. Sin brings death to everyone who's underneath its power. Eternity is in the balance. I thoroughly believe that we will enter eternity either as free men and women or as slaves. You have a choice today. The problem is that it's much harder to discern spiritual bondage than it is physical bondage. You may think that you're free all the while held captive by your past that was marred by guilt and sin. Put this freedom in Christ alone. The good news is that you can experience perfect freedom. Will you be perfect? No. But positionally, God will say to you, he has forever perfected by one offering, by one sacrifice, he's forever perfected those who are being made holy. There's such great things that God has in store for us. I asked the band to, to sing uh, In Christ Alone. I love those words. L- listen to one of the verses. And I, ho- I hope that you will, that the shackles will just fall off of you when you sing this song. That the snare has been broken and we have escaped. And, and, and like a bird, our, our soul is set free. L- listen to that. No guilt in life. No guilt in life. Can can you sing that from the heart today? No guilt in life, no fear in death. Because there is no guilt in this life, then there's no fear in death. I have no fear of dying. To be absent from this body is to be present with my Lord. I, I, I look forward to the day. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me. From his hand The great line. I want to ask you a question: Are you secure? Are, are, have you committed your life to the hands that were once filled with nails or, or nail prints, scars in his capable hands? Is your life in his hands? If it is, then your life is secure. Make sure then that you stay free. I'd like to pray if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ, you, you don't know what it's like to have this inexplicable peace, but you'd like to. Would you, would, you, would you pray something like this? Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And Jesus, I, I receive you by faith and through grace today. Wash me in your blood. Cleanse my conscience. Set me free from my past. In the name of Jesus. While your heads are still kind of eyes closed and all that, if you're here this morning and you did that for the first time, I'd like to know that by praying for you this week. And If you just kind of look up at me, it's a little dark for me to see. I only have one good eye. But uh, if you've done that, I see a couple. Thank you so much. I want to pray for you this week. That God will bless you, that you'll grow in faith and grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I do pray, pray for my brothers and sisters who are in Christ, who have been harassed and oppressed by things they've done in the past. You've paid for them in full. It is finished, complete. It is, it is accomplished now, Jesus, I pray that they will walk in that truth, that there is no condemnation, not now, not ever, for those in Christ, that their lives have been hid with Christ in God.